Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our evening Dhamma session. One very well-known description of the Buddha's teaching is as the middle way. And so all of us are on the middle way, trying to find the middle way. Sometimes it's described in that way. Um, most famously in terms of not torturing yourself, but not becoming indulgent. I think that applies very well to the meditation practice. It's something that is an important lesson for us during the meditation course. Don't torture yourself. Don't force it. Don't even force yourself not to force it, right? Realize that forcing it isn't even under your control. This isn't something that you can just steamroll over. Don't torture yourself. But at the same time, don't become complacent. And so it it seems actually it, it, it eventually becomes a razor's edge where there's only really one way. There's no leeway. If you want to really be in the middle way, Anupagama, you have to not go at all in either direction. So what we're looking for is this this state of balance in a sense on a razor's edge. And balance is a really good way to understand the middle way as well. Now balance doesn't mean a little bit of indulgence and a little bit of torture. Balance means to find a state that is free from such things, like the state that is in neither one direction or the other. It's a very tricky thing. But there are many types of balance that is that are talked about, and I think many of you have read my booklet where I relate the uh, the teaching on balancing the faculties. So confidence has to balance with wisdom. Wisdom has to balance with confidence. Effort has to balance with concentration and vice versa. Mindfulness alone is the one you don't have to balance, you don't have to moderate. Mindfulness, the more mindfulness you have, the better. There's no middle way with mindfulness. Mindfulness is the middle way. Because mindfulness is what allows you to avoid extremes, avoid um, an excess or a deficiency. We have so many different qualities of mind. 
that the Buddha talks about and sometimes you read it and you think well how do I go about developing that one it's like it's like you read about it, all the parts of a motor and so you open the hood of your car and you try to figure out how to, tur how to turn each one on but that's not how it works it's important to know all the parts to be able to fix them if they get broken to clean them and so on but you don't go around starting all the parts of the engine you really just turn the key and so here we have this great vehicle of insight meditation and so many adornments like loving kindness and compassion and generosity and wisdom of course but you don't really have to go around turning all those things on mindfulness is the one mindfulness is the key So mindfulness is the one that balances, and you see that again in a in an important set. That's something I wanted to really wanted to talk about tonight. Um, the, our local meditators are all doing really well, on track. So I thought it was also time to talk about the uh, seven bojangas, bodhi anga, bojanga the factors of enlightenment the factors of enlightenment allow us without going into too much detail because we don't want to get too caught up in theory but they can they can describe to you the path describe to you the progress and the uh, change that over that that comes to pass So they start with, with sati And one way to understand them is, a, is as a progression So it starts with sati, of course, with mindfulness It starts when you begin to practice When you begin to cultivate objective awareness Seeing, hearing, feeling, thinking, liking, disliking When you recognize it Remind yourself It is what it is That's the key that, that starts you on the path And that's what you've been doing, right? So as you do that Number two is Dhammavichaya And this is the Sort of an investigation Or a realization of the Dhammas Which means as you practice, you you come to understand yourself. You you learn many things about yourself, about reality. You see clearly your habits, good and bad, and you see clearly that the objects which you react to, liking, disliking, etc., arrogant, conceited, and so on. You see that they're not what you thought. You see that whatever you cling to or hold on to is impermanent, suffering, and non-self. Dhammavichaya is about seeing three characteristics. It's about changing our predilection for, for stability and our misguided notion that we can find stability 
experience something pleasant and we cling to it thinking, oh, this will last forever, right? We don't think that, but that's how we approach it so that when it's gone we feel very sad. We suffer. It's suffering because it changes. And you can't control it. You're not in charge. You know, you find meditators when they begin to practice, they'll try very much to control their practice. But you can't control. So you see non-self, impermanent, suffering, non-self. This is the second step. This is what you've already begun as well, right? You've already seen some of this. You're watching, you're learning about this as we go. Now as you see that, the third one arises, which is uh, Wiriya. Now Wiriya here really comes after you start to see the truth, because you know, in the beginning you're, you're withholding your, your doubt, What's the word? Uh, giving the benefit of the doubt. And so you're not 100% into it, right? Why would you be? But as you practice and you start to see the results, see the benefits, see the truth, see the usefulness of this, the usefulness of training in, in equanimity and objectivity, And you begin to cultivate, you begin to come, become energetic, enthusiastic, intent upon it, Viriya. After Viriya, then there is uh, Piti. So once you start to really put out effort, it becomes um, powerful. Right? Because your your other habits are getting weaker because you're not engaging in them and your mind is is so engrossed in the meditation that it starts to become a habit. And that, that the energy there, the, the sort of the, the charge that builds up, the power that builds up is called piti. Piti is this power, this um static charge, if you will. The power of of uh, inertia. Once you get going, it starts to be to go by itself. So PT is of many kinds. Of course, there are. I mean, PT is just any kind of uh, ecstatic or or charged state of mind. There's many of them, but here it means it means being enthusiastic and engaged and strong in your practice. Once you're once you're engaged in the practice and and really set upon it, and then there arises basati, tranquility. So some of you have already talked about how you feel calm sometimes. That's good. Don't cling to it, obviously. And when you've come to see is that when you cling to it, it doesn't doesn't make you more calm. That's for sure. But it's 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 good, you know, to realize that this is a benefit that you calm down. You're not trying to force it, but you start to see that by just being aware and objective and and allowing the distress and the restlessness and so on, 
and not reacting to it, how that in and of itself calms you down. You no longer have to be anything. You no longer react to things. After pasadī, there become there comes samādhi. So once it's quiet, then your mind becomes very focused. You've been very energetic and intent upon it and Quiet down And once you quiet down All of these, the mind, starting with mindfulness They work together To focus your attention Your mind becomes focused And when you walk you're only aware of the Right foot moving and then the left foot moving Or lifting, placing Or lifting heel and so on And so there arises samadhi The mind is no longer restless After samadhi then there is upeka And this is what we're aiming for Those of you, a couple of you have been to the Goenka courses He talks a lot about this I think But we're not trying to force upeka right? Key for all of this is to not try and cultivate the goal We have to cultivate the practice and if it if it's right practice, the goal will come by itself. So through all of this, you should become more equanimous. Don't force that. That's not the goal. That's not the way. But it will by itself. You know, as you become very much intent upon the practice, and also as you start to learn more about yourself, you're less inclined to cling to things that can't make you happy can't satisfy you things that only lead to suffering when you cling to them and upeka is the final one once you have upeka true upeka that's the, the highest of vipassana it's from there that you enter into nibbana sankharupeka equanimity about all sankharas Seeing them just as arising and ceasing No longer distressed, no longer upset No longer craving or yearning Content, peaceful, focused So there are a real progression in that way But the Buddha offers another way of understanding them He says that uh, Investigation of Dhammas and energy and rapture these three relate to energy, effort. So they're the ones you should cultivate when you're when you're tired, or when you're lazy. You're falling asleep. Well, cultivate dhammavicaya, viriya, piti. Focus on them. When you're and the other the other three, tranquility or quietude, concentration and uh, equanimity These ones These ones re are related to Concentration So if you're restless, if you're distracted You should cultivate these three But again we get back to this idea of Well first we get back to the, This is the idea of balance, right? You balance these seven Factors of enlightenment 
but we get to, we come back to this idea of trying to go around and start all the, tweak all the parts of the engine and maybe that's an, maybe that is a good analogy because there is some tweaking that can be done but in meditation practice the tweaking itself comes about by mindfulness you know in a way it's just a way of highlighting the fact that mindfulness is in the center because this is where the Buddha said Satinchukwang bikave sabatikang vadami whereas the other six factors of enlightenment are only important to, to cultivate when you're imbalanced mindfulness is always useful and so by being mindful of the, the imbalance that's where balance comes from so remember the bojangas I think I think this is really the way it's to be done. You know, it's you're not going to go around and tweak the engine. You don't go around and say, "Okay, I don't have enough effort. I'm going to cultivate effort," and so it could magically appear. It's important to know the Dhamma. What we don't realize is that just knowing these things already changes the way you look at them. Right? If I hadn't taught you how to meditate. How to be mindful You wouldn't know how to look at the mind When we talk about the three characteristics If I, if you hadn't heard of impermanent suffering and non-self You would have thought this was just torture Everyone, Many people do run away Well, not many Some people do run away in the early stages of the course Because they can't handle They don't understand What's really going on And they see impermanent suffering and non-self And it scares them, bothers them So it's important to know the Dhamma. It's important to be taught it, to be have it explained to you. Because just knowing it changes changes how you look at it. Anyway, I stress that because what you don't want to do is is try and control it. As I said, you have don't have energy, so you run around doing jumping jacks or something. You don't force these things. You understand them. Because most importantly, it gives you um, a, a focus for your mindfulness. Highlighting all the... Uh, the Buddha did this. He would highlight all the various aspects of experience. And by highlighting them, it's like shining a light on them. And when you hear about this and you reflect, how is my effort, how is my concentration, equanimity, and so on, then you see, you know, you have a, a light shine on, shine, shone, shined. On the uh, the experience, on the, the the nature of reality, on reality, and uh, makes it much more precise and clear when it goes to being mindful of it. So, remember these seven 
mindfulness, sati, dhammavichaya, which means the, the wisdom that comes from it, the realization of impermanence, suffering and non-self. Vidya, which is effort, piti, which is rapture, basadi, tranquility, and upeka, which is equanimity. They go in a progression for the most part, but they also come, become imbalanced. And it's seeing that imbalance that, that allows you to correct it. There you go, a little bit of Dhamma tonight. Something very important. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite simple, but those seven things, those are what leads to enlightenment. So, thank you all for coming out. Keep practicing. questions on the site. In relation to the meditation technique on sitting, I usually do it with my eyes open as with walking because most of the day I'm with my eyes open I want to relate my practice to daily life. I wonder how much important is the practice. Also sitting meditation with your eyes closed is it a key factor of the practice. No, but you know, it's it's a sense door that we can close, and as a result, it it simplifies things. So closing the eyes is actually beneficial in that sense. It makes it easier. I mean, meditation is hard enough without trying to make it harder. I get what you're saying, trying to make it like real life, but real life it's very hard to be mindful. So there's nothing wrong with having your eyes open. It's just you probably get better, more quicker, quicker results with your eyes closed because it's easier and it easy allows you to, to that extent, allows you to focus better, to progress quicker. What is akasha? Akasha means space. Yes. Akasa is the world, the world of space. It's one of the three worlds. There's Akasa Loka, the world of space. There's Satta Loka, which is the world of beings. And then there's Sankara Loka, which is the world of formations. Here's a question about Zazen compared to Mahasi. Sorry, I don't do such things. I don't really, because I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I don't know much about Zen at all, besides what you read in books. Every once in a while I get dizzy, and when I open my eyes, my eyes are shaking. I try to be mindful of the shaking and frustration, but it seems to be too intense for being a beginner meditator. Well, I mean, seems to be too intense is just a judgment, so you can say judging, judging, or... Worried, worried, or so on. 
there's no such thing as too intense. Too intense is when you when you give in to it. And it's good, you're trying to be mindful of the shaking and frustration. What you're learning is impermanent suffering, non-self, impermanent. Because it's strange, you know. Impermanence is when you see that things can change at any time. It wasn't like this, now it's like this. Suffering, because you see that it's not the way you want it to be, it makes you frustrated. And non-self. And suffering also that you can't make it the way, you can't fix it. Doesn't it doesn't go according to your plan, non-self, right? You can't you, because because you can't control it. Any tips for remaining mindful throughout the day? Thank you. I'll become enlightened. That's the best way. I mean. Uh, I'd encourage if you have time to do a meditation course or more than one. Um, in, intensive courses are really good for helping you be more mindful during the day. Live in a place where people are mindful, live in a monastery. That helps. That kind of thing. Study. Study the Dhamma, that'll help. Okay, so that's all the questions. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, I'm not here tomorrow, probably through Sunday, because there's this big celebration. And tomorrow I'm going to teach. I mentioned this. I'm going to teach at University of Toronto. There's a celebration. Uh, it's a memor memorial for the head monk's dead mother. And then on Sunday there's the Buddha's birthday celebration in Mississauga. Big thousand, thousand people. We're going to have a meditation tent there. So that's all. Have a good night, everyone.